Welcome to episode 681 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righty, Tim, welcome along to episode 681 of I'm Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. Yourself? Oh, mate, on top of the world. Top of the world. Last week of winter? Oh, true. Beautiful day out there. Beautiful day. Beautiful day. Still a good day for skiers, if you're a skier. Mm-hmm. Yep. So other people are heading into winter. Not us. Not us. We're, we're just about out the back door, Jumbo. I talk is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer. And our patrons. His name is you, Jumbo. Matt, don't walk over me, Anderson. We've got David the Trimmer, Greg. And Tony Buckelin Buckingham. Buckelin Buckingham. Good work this week. We've got some news. We've got uh, John's ITU update. Oh, you've given yourself an own header here, have you? I have today. This, this, it's a big week. This is not just a part of the news. Mm. It gets its own header. Wow, that's pretty special stuff. Uh, hot topic of the week. I think I've, I've, I think I've got one that's I've, I've overridden everyone they've written down here. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I like my one. Well, let's save yours for next week because mine's topical for this week. Is it? Yep. Okay. Um, interview. Yep, we're going to talk to Craig Kirkwood because uh, he messaged me during the show last week uh, saying that I was wrong, that no Kiwi would get in the top three at the Beijing Test event, and uh, I was wrong, and he actually coaches Hayden Wild, who was in the top oh, three, uh, as, as well as a bunch of other athletes, both runners and triathletes, and you asked me a few weeks ago, you know, why has New Zealand started to, to do well, and so I thought it would just be an interesting topic um, to hear a New Zealand perspective on why we have got some good juniors and contrast that to what's happening el- happening elsewhere in the world. Because there's been a big gap, hasn't there? Like, other than Andrew, Andrea, hmm. you know, like you basically had the period we were in a stellar period mm-hmm. um, with Hayden and Bevan, um, Hamish, sorry, and then... Big gap, really. Yeah, well, I mean, we always had a few there, but yeah, we'll discuss this with Craig. No one is getting podiums. True, yep. True. Yeah. So it's good stuff. Um, we've got a high five, sets, tastic, and a few questions and answers at the end. Jumbo, we had a few 743s happening over the weekend, and good old Alistair Brownlee. Show yep. us some form. He is. So he did uh, 4 hours and 34 seconds at uh, 70.3 Dun Lacharan, I think it is, in uh, County. Dublin uh, and Dublin Island. Uh, it wasn't, you know, it was a decent field. Elliot Smiles got second. Adam Bowden, who's won races, got third. Uh, Matt Burton was down in fifth. So good to see Brownlee racing uh, ahead. And only t- next weekend is the seventy point three World Champs. So racing two weeks out looks to be in pretty decent shape. Nikki Bartlett won the females race. Looking forward to, to uh, looking forward to this weekend coming for the ITU Worlds, but also looking forward to the weekend after for 70.3. Uh, we also had a 70.3 in Travis City in Michigan. Jackie Herring took that out and Matt Hanson. And good then, results, isn't he, this year? F- yeah, and then finally uh, we had a 70.3 at Vichy in France and Emma Pallant took that out, beating out Jocelyn McCauley. And then on the men's side we had Johan Lebrun from France beating out David McNamee. So second places for a couple of... Um, you know, potential Kona contenders there. So we also had another Ironman, but it was an age group only Ironman race, and it was in Vichy. Who are the athletes who took that out? John, uh, let's give some love. Bit of uh, bit of fast action there from Luke. What is it? 
Gabrisson from France. He took the race out in 8 hours and 42 minutes, winning by 7 minutes. So they had an age group only race, but they also had the Pro 70.3 running, I presume concurrently, not on not on separate days. Uh, and the fastest female was Helga. It's a fast, Helga. strong Don't name. mess with Helga, team. Helga. Uh, she is from, that is the Belgian flag, I think. So Helga Schiebeck, uh, she took it out in nine hours and 50 minutes. Okay. Also coming up this weekend, we haven't got a lot coming up this weekend, but next weekend we've got 7.3 World Champs, which is pretty cool. But we have got a white beer extreme in Northern Ireland. Liking the look of this, it looks like it's the inaugural in terms of the iron distance. I couldn't really find any results from last year, so they have a half and a full. Uh, they had a little picture there of, I presume it was last year's race. Uh, not too many in it, but it looks like another fairly epic adventure, uh, as Bevan said. It's in Northern Ireland. The, 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 one of the things they point out is it's it's an extreme race, uh, very hilly, uh, and the swim is going to be cold. Yet in the footage from last year... No one's wetsuits. A bunch of them were going non-wetsuits. There's choppy swim with an average water temperature of 14 to 15 degrees. That's pretty fresh without a wetsuit. That's pretty fresh with a wetsuit. Um, the bike, the half, uh, the half Ironman has got a, a 1,720 metres of climbing, so I assume that the full has double that, so 3,440, that's just an assumption, that's pretty tricky, and then the run is, uh, the half, it says 600 metres ascent up to Squat Hill, so I love highlighting these um, these races that probably don't get massive fields, but just sometimes think about the challenge of what we're doing, rather than going to the big dot races, where they've got thousands of people, go out there and challenge yourself at a race where you're probably going to be solo for most of the day. So that's one that's coming up this weekend. Just one other uh, thing on that race, they've got some photos here, and um, they're on the run. Now obviously it looks like it runs a bit of off-road and on-road, but in the off-road running, you're basically just running like literally through farm fields without a trail. Yeah, oh, and it looks it looks a cool race. That's why I wanted to highlight yeah. it. So it's called the whitebeertriathlon.co.uk. It's only like for the forts and like 170 pound to enter, so it's pretty good. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other races coming up this weekend as well, non-branded. You've got the Austria Tri Pottersdorf. You've got the Icon Extreme in Italy, the Hard Man in Ireland, uh, the Brutal in Chlanberis in Wales, the Janisic extreme in Slovakia and as I said the white bear extreme along with uh, in Japan you've got the Sado International Triathlon which has been around for donkey's years and finally the Cologne 226 in Germany. So the question I have for you John is what's the next segment called? <laughs> the next segment. Let me John's ITU update. update. <laughs> Big weekend. Okay so it's the finale double points whatever tell me what's happening John. So it's not double points it's uh it's points times one point. Well, it's weird. I'll explain how the point system works in a moment. One of the reasons why I'm excited about it is it's a really, really cool course. Uh, it's in Lausanne in Switzerland. So for age groupers, it's the World Championship for both the sprint and Olympic. Uh, and for the elites, it's bonus round, uh, grand finale. So to, to improve your ranking, you can do so at this race. And to to get be part of the World Series um Points at the end, you have to include this race. Oh, okay. Uh, yep. so, so it's mandatory. You've got to turn up on the start line. And so, you have to finish it. I would assume so. 
Yeah, I assume so. Okay. Uh, so the, the bike course is awesome. Um, or the, the venue is Lausanne, Switzerland. Beautiful lake to swim in. The bike uh, for the elites, it's got two climbs per lap, uh, around about 50 to 70 metres of elevation gain. Uh, and it's a seven-lap bike course. So you're going to have 14 hills in there. I was talking to a couple of guys running last night. They have had the worlds there. When did they have it? Uh, 19... It's going to test my memory. 1998, I think it was, wow. they had it. Um, and the reason I can remember that is because I was there. It might have been 99 or 98. I think it was 98. Uh, and the reason I can remember that, we went down to watch it. And the winner was a surprise winner. It was Joanne King won the females race. Joe King. Joe King, yeah. <laughs> and Evelyn Williamson from New Zealand got third, which was just Epic result. Really? Uh, and then on the male side, you had Simon Lessing dominating the dojo and Paul Amy from New Zealand. Well, he ended up racing for Great Britain, but he was still racing for New Zealand. He got second. Oh, really? Can't remember who got third. And yeah, what you might see this weekend is I think it will break up a bit on the bike on both the males and the female side. Um, but even if it doesn't, the, the nature of this course to keep up is going to be bloody hard. So if you hang in there, uh, you may well be more fatigued on the run. So I think we will see probably the best triathletes win this run rather than the best runners. Uh, it may not appear like that on the face of it, but I think those that are weak on the bike are really going to suffer on this course. So it should be awesome watching. Uh, as I said last week, I, I saw somewhere advertised the Triathlon Live subscription was like $2 US for the rest of the season. So go check that out. It'll give you some... Uh, I presume it'll keep running until the start of next season, so you've got plenty of winter footage for you guys in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, in terms of the rankings, uh, let me just pull this up. So currently the ranking system, uh, you have Vincent Louis on top for the men. Uh, he's got a lead over the Spanish Armada. Of, there's three of them, second, third, fourth. You've got Mario Mola, Javier Gomez, and Fernando and Laza. And then next up you've got Jacob Bertwistle. And the reality is um, Vincent Louis, if he has a decent day, should be able to win it um, reasonably comfortably. But if he completely bombs out, as Bevan said, uh, don't know what will happen there, but he will certainly plummet down the ranking. Rankings. Uh, on the female side of things, it will be interesting to see how Katie Zaveris goes. She's got a, a somewhat unassailable lead in the females race, but again, if she doesn't finish, uh, who knows what will happen. So she is uh, first on 4,900 points. Jessica Learmoth is second. Georgia Taylor-Brown third. Taylor Spivey fourth. And Non Sanford in fifth. So you've got Americans and Great Britain athletes uh, taking the top six positions on the female side of things. And what's going to be interesting, that some of those top six ranked athletes are potentially not going to make the US or the Great Britain Olympic team, which is uh, it's pretty bloody tough. Pretty bloody tough. It really is tough, isn't it? Um, it's hard, you know, for these people that said dream to go to the Olympics. Mm. And it is, and the problem with that is, is this is, the, the Olympics is the mano a mano, and any of those girls potentially could win a medal. Absolutely. You know, so you're actually not getting the best field at the mm. Olympics, are you? But it's the same in, in yeah. lots of sports. Yeah, I know, but it's, Especially yeah. sprinting, you know. Um, Although, did you see the article about the, the young guy? I saw he's getting busted. Or getting well, no, he keeps missing tests, yeah. so that he's going to be banned. Yeah, yeah, that's. I don't know. Probably not that clever, I'd imagine. No. <laughs> uh, so, in terms of how the points are allocated, so the World Triathlon Series events, you get a thousand points for first, and then, uh, and then it drops by seven point five percent per position, which is I don't know. I thought that's a bit odd, but then I think oh, maybe it's. So yeah, it's consistent. Yeah, and then uh, for the. 
finale, it's 1,250 points. So a few bonus points at the grand finale. I reckon it should be just about double points to really make it interesting. So it counts a lot to be in peak condition for this final race. But we ultimately still think World Championship race should be its own thing. Absolutely. And, and most people seem to agree, except the organisers. So, <laughs> well, do the athletes agree? Do we know what the athletes' opinion is? Um, I think the athletes really like the reward for a season of hard work and the most consistent athlete, but you can have the best of both worlds. Yes. You can say you're the World Series champion. Well, it was like the NRL, they have a premier team who yeah. won, the, won the season and then you have the finals. Now, admittedly, there's more credit to the finals champion. Yeah, sure. But, you know, the Storm are going to win the premiership. But pretty much everybody I speak to thinks you should have uh, the standalone world champion. Anyhow, so yeah, there's all to play for in the final race. It's uh, funny, yeah, just there's a sports discussion. That's an interesting because you look at the Premier League mm-hmm. and they do it across the season. You don't have a final at the end of it, do you? No, but they've got different competitions as well. You've got like the, the European Champion. Uh, the FA Cup. Yeah, so they've got different competitions. They do, but you know, like the thing that they really. I think that's probably one of the only sporting leagues. Oh, God, I'm sure there's others, but. Um, no, it's, it's Formula One. This is all, yeah, there's, there's loads that are, yeah. that are like that. Yeah. So anyway, um, in terms of prize money, it's really good prize money at the, the final race. You know, from triathlon speak, it's thirty grand for first, drops to twenty two, sixteen, twelve, and nine. But the big thing where you can really lose out at this race is if you cock up and you lose ranking points, because the difference between first and second is around about twenty five thousand dollars US, and then again about eighteen thousand dollars US to to drop down to third, and drops to another thirteen. So, you know, it's pretty a you lose out on the grand finale bonus money which is nearly double um, what it is for, for a regular event and then you're going to lose out again in terms of uh, the bonus pool so quite a lot of money on offer from triathlon speak and when you look at the world um, you know, I, I see challenge the challenge family send me weekly uh, the yeah, the rankings, the rankings, and you consistently see the ITU athletes are earning more than uh, the Ironman athletes. Probably not in endorsements, but in terms of prize money. So here's a couple of questions for you. Um, my first comment is the, the ITU guys can make more money now because of mm. the, the relays. Yep. You know, so the, you know the the relay championship gets twenty five thousand. Mixed relay series gets another twelve. So you know they they can also earn more money on top of just the fact that they're racing there. Mm. Um, and then I had a question for you, and it was a life changing question, John. Bet it was. And I've totally forgotten it. Who's my pick for this weekend? No, no, no. Going back to that series thing, one of your greatest party tricks is you can name all the champions of all time. Mm. Do you think in ten years from now you're going to remember all the series winners of all time? No way. No. Yeah. No. That's definitive, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Uh, who's your pick? Uh, on the female side of things, I am going to go for um, Flora Duffy. Not in the rankings at all, but geez, the form she had. Yeah, but she got beaten by the two other girls. Only just. Still. and Yep, but on this course, she'll break away on the bike. It's hilly, and she'll just monster them and have this huge lead and even if her run's not top game she's taken it I reckon Gomez is going to go doing this weekend and then the 70.3s in the next weekend I would assume so I haven't actually looked at the start list well he's got, he's got oh, for 70.3s he's, he's, well, he's on the start list for 70.3s and he's on the start list here this Oz is, this rankings. Is rankings oh okay I'm pretty sure he'll be doing both yeah because uh, he's at third place so there's some money in it isn't there yeah, but he races regularly all the time. So, again, he crashed as well. So, he's another one that was Jeez, burned he's a out. Legend. Uh, so, born in 1983. So, he's 30, well, it depends when his birthday is, but 36, 35, 36. That's unbelievable, isn't it? And athletically, he's very old as well. He's been in this for a long time. So, 
age he's a freak. and athletic age. Because he's, he's a bit like Federer, where you've seen a few generations go through and he's still at the top mm. of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Jesus Christ. And he's gone long and come back, which is even makes it even more impressive. Well, 70.3. Well, he, he did Ironman. Yeah, I know he didn't do it that well. Well, he did two Ironmans. Yeah, the season yeah but he didn't, he didn't do it that well. Well, he, he, what, he, he did two races. He did Challenge Cairns and he finished second to, to, to Braden Curry, very close race, and went, I don't know what he went, but he went pretty bloody fast, so <sighs> I'll dispute that. He didn't. So my pick for, for this weekend is would be Vincent Louis, so top-ranked athlete. I think he, he's got the all-round game, and a couple of these athletes are going to get shown up on the bike. I'm going to say Henry Schumann. Okay. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Yep. He's going to do it. And the gills? And you went Duffy, didn't you? Flora Duffy. I'm going Flora Duffy. She's nice. <laughs> she's unbeatable. Yeah. Uh, okay, John, have you, have you finished your section, have you? Uh, yeah, that'll do for today. Okay. Good luck to everybody who's racing out there for the age group side of things. You'll have a great time. Cool course. Oh, for cool age, experience. Age, age group is course is not quite as hard as the um, elites, but it's still hilly. They've still got some hills in there, so it should be should be an awesome time. And it's just a cool time. It's what a fun thing to do in your life. And there's going to be um, some a, f- a number of people are doubling up doing that, and then going up and doing seventy point three world champs. Uh, and one of the other challenges they have this year, so so quite often these days you get athletes rocking up to world champs, and they'll do the Olympic and the sprint. Yeah. Uh, so f- for last year, for example, in Australia, the I can't remember which way around. I think it, the sprint was on maybe Wednesday or Thursday, yep. and then the Olympic was Sunday, or it might have been the other way around. This time the sprint's on Saturday and the Olympic's on Sunday. Oh. There will still be some people doubling up, and that could make it interesting on Sunday. Well, it depends on what you're there for, isn't it? If you're just there to have the experience, mm. you'll do both. But if you are trying to be quite competitive, it's a different beast, isn't it? Okay, so uh, John, let's talk about last week's discussion. Last week's discussion was, what rules would you like to be changed in Ironman racing? John, you've got a couple here, but let's go through some of what the listeners have. Lurcher Ted, that's a great name. Lurcher Ted. Uh, the no wet swoot neoprene rule over 24.5 degrees. I don't understand why you can't wear neoprene shorts. The rule is there because of the temperature and the risk of overheating, not buoyancy. You are not getting overheat advantage when you are wearing a pair of neoprene shorts. The rule needs to be updated now. I'm going to disagree with most people's comments here, okay. <laughs> unfortunately. And the reason I say that is I think there are some silly – you look at them on the face of it and you go, that's a bit of a stupid rule. But then when you actually think about it, you go, well, it's kind of fair enough. And like having neoprene shorts, if the wording is for the, the, the temperature reason, I agree, neoprene shorts are not going to overheat you, but you are getting an unfair advantage over somebody else who doesn't wear them. I suppose they could wear them if they wanted to. Yeah, but that's the thing, as long as it's fair for everyone. But um, I don't, why, why do you need neoprene shorts? Get rid of them. Well, but you have to have a little higher. Sorry? Yeah, but you don't, it's a triathlon. Stop making it easy for people. I'm, I hate it. you got me fired up now. This could be a rant of the week. Stop making things easy for people. Bloody hell. I think, they should, also, my head I think they should also be allowed to wear um, floaties yeah. on their arms. Paddles? <laughs> Paddles. What did we have a few years ago? Snorkels? Yeah. It's not an easy sport. Make it harder, not easier. You just so who, 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 who made that comment? Richard Ted. Richard Ted. You just got my fired up bad box. What about Scott Horns? He's going to actually um, like to see. I would like to actually see more marshals on the course to enforce the most important rule no drafting. It is a safety issue and a stand to keep the clean sport. You happy with that one? You're not going to rent there? It's fine, but I think <laughs> it's. Your heart the, um, Levi, Levi Maxwell's got the 20 meter draft full that is enforced, and I, I agree with that. We've got to try to stamp out drafting, but my challenge to everybody, and I've said this many times before, is actually if you want to make a difference, 
get off your ass and go out there and volunteer at an event or get yourself qualified in one season, one race a season, go and do some draft marshalling and see how easy it is. You just go, oh, just bust everybody. It's not that simple. Uh, so there's so many things that need to change on drafting. I, I agree, a 20-meter rule would be fantastic. I don't think it's practical, though, for, for most events. Pros, yes, maybe, but for age groupers, you just got to do the maths, and it's like, you can't, you can't do it unless you've got... So do we have to keep drafting and racing? No, I think, you know, when we look at, um, it's a whole combination of things we've got to do, and, and I think at the moment, um, we're only addressing one or two of them. So in Kona this year, they're changing the wave starts, that's great, that's one aspect yeah, of it. It'll be interesting to hear the feedback on that, won't it? But that's not going to solve it. Then there's got to be more marshals on the course, so more draft marshals, I agree. Then there's got to be a, a general change of intent by athletes, and that's going to be the biggest thing. I was speaking to somebody who raced in Copenhagen uh, um, the weekend before last, and he's riding along, and there's a guy on his wheel, and he tells him to F off, and the guy just says, you F off. And it's like... <laughs> well, that's when you put the I'm taught piss strategy. Yeah. You know, you pee I, on I them. agree. Pee I, on them big time. Seriously. Pull your winger out of your guy. If you're guilty, just do the backward spurt. Yeah. <laughs> if someone did that to me, if they were on my wheel, I literally would do that. I would first piss on them, and then I seriously would spray them with a bottle. I would. It would make... i tell you what. Jeez, I'm getting fired up this morning. This is a good topic. Right. Uh, <laughs> True set, a tiered system uh, like um, cycling. There are certain age groups that should not be age groupers due to their results. <laughs> Fire me up again. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I do agree in some print. I, I would really like to see maybe an elite category uh, and maybe you could choose to go into that. Uh, but then do they, do they only get the coda slots? Yeah, I, I, I haven't thought this one through in terms of the best system, but I would like to see. So what does cycling do? So oh, you, okay, you have grades, don't you? Yeah, yeah, but they still have age group stuff as well. So it, it, Yeah, but I mean you have grade systems as well, don't you? You do. So yeah. you have age group and you have category. But if it's just like a, a regular weekend race, you've got cat one, two, three, four, five, um, or whatever. And we're in New Zealand, we have A grade, B grade, C grade, D grade. Uh, and if you qualify to go up, you can race in, in the next grade. Um, so I, I do think there's merit in thinking that one through a little bit more. Matthew Bins has got the reduction of the number of rules would have a positive impact on the competitor numbers. Since the mid-90s, the sport has seen an introduction of quite a few nebulous rules, all in the name of what? Someone's power trip over in the sport? Let's keep it simple to cover the basic safeties in the swim and on the road. Acceptable levels of courtesy and common sense towards the event staff volunteer and fellow competitors and stop the nonsense with the over-proliferation of minus rules. I've got to be consistent here and just <laughs> slam everybody. <laughs> um, I don't think changing the, the, the rules is going to affect, <laughs> affect athlete numbers, is it really? Do people go, oh, there's all these rules I'm not going to enter? How to lose an audience, just shut everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you guys will comment this week as well. <laughs> Okay, Rich is 20, no, you always give him shit. The rule prohibiting the use of violence in the swim. Oh, okay, you might... <laughs> no, here we go. So be able to use it. So all methods compete in the swim the quickest. Okay. So no buffo in the swim. Well... <laughs> John Newsom's the worst of them all. Yeah. Old, old angry Newsom. I tell you what, when, when they were in... Um, had the, the test event in Tokyo, yep. and this is where a lot of these rules come from, is... Uh, trying to diffuse situations in an elite level, and you go, that rule's stupid, but but at an elite level, then they need it there. Yeah. And so somebody, a few people have brought up these the case, you know, like of the Brownleys when um, Push. they pushed them over yep. the line. Now there's a new rule; you can't do that anymore. Yep. Uh, the rule we had the weekend before last in Tokyo, where the there finish. was the, yep. the finish, that rule has been thought through. You can 
argue either way whether you think it's sensible or not. Um, the now, one person who I'm not going to slam here because he does get off his butt and he does go out there and officiates at, rule, at races. Brent Chan, rules are often added as a result of athletes doing something that international federations or race directors uh, are then ask the ITU to do something uh, about for future. Both 2.2C, the rule about assisting other athletes, and 211 if the rule about contrived results are as a result of things athletes did, not what they might do, in this case certain brothers. However, the one more mundane rule is 7.1p, the helmet strap must remain unfastened in the transition area while the athlete is competing in the first segment. So Brent, you're going to only get a half slam here, because your first point was good, but your second point, so again, (laughs) so Bevan, think this one through. I got thinking. You got you see in in transition. You've got to have your helmet unfastened. You can't have it fastened up. Yep. Any reason why that might be? Because if you just slip it over your head, it's probably not going to be tight enough. Exactly. Yep. So you go pretty stupid rule, but yep. then you go, well, actually, that's a bit of a safety concern. If you've got people riding around without with their helmets, yeah, uh, not fastened. Yep. So you go again. Most of the rules, when you actually think about them, do make some sense. Another one that we had down here. <laughs> here we go. And I'm not going to slam you for this one. Uh, who what about the it? zipper rule? The zipper rule, yes. Rob Lyons. Rob Lyons. So he was mentioning the zipper rule. So you've got the zipper rule that can only come down um, to your chest bone or something like that for male athletes. And you go, well, we've got to have a point somewhere where we put it because are we going to allow bare torsos? And the general consensus is no, we're not. Are we going to allow people to have their tops fully unzipped and flapping around? No, no, we're not going to do that. So we've got to have some position where it's got to be. So you go, well, it's stupid. Why can't you have it there? Well, does it go to your belly button? Does it go to there? You've got to have a line somewhere. So I'm defending most of these rules. What about Tom Morwood? For the age group ITU race at the World Champs, it's illegal. This one did seem stupid. Tom, thumbs up, Tom. (laughs) Tom, you're the favourite this week. Uh, It's legal to have a towel on the ground in transition. It's stupid. If you're not allowed to cross the finish line with your kids on your shoulders, I got DQ'd for that one. Oh, well, you see, again, Tom, you're going to get a, a, a one third thumbs up. <laughs> Your first point with regards to towels on the ground, again, you, you start to think that through. Um, and I kind of, I, I do agree it's a bit stupid. But from a race director's point of view, again, you've got to draw a line somewhere because people bring so much shit into transition. It's unbelievable. And then they take up the whole area. And so, again, you've got to draw some arbitrary lines somewhere. Kids on shoulders crossing the line. I agree with that one. I, I, oh, you're I, happy? With, you're not going to be? Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I, I don't think you should be able to take your kids down. The I think they line. could have a double lane. Sorry, I think they could. Have yeah, a double well, yeah. Lane. You've got to have a different solution. Yeah. But I tell you what, if I was coming down sprinting, say it was a wave wave start, sprinting sprint finish, and there's somebody in front oh, of yeah, the totally. kids, I would lose my shit. Yeah. Uh, but I agree. The solution there is you maybe have a separate line. Yeah. Great. Good point, Bevan. Michael Kennedy. No, hold on. He had another point here that I... Okay. uh, Then this one is a stupid rule. The single most stupid rule in all of the ITU I'd like changed, it's illegal to have a sleeve to try certain sprint events. They are only legal in Olympic and longer. I've written many letters to the ITU and National Federation of Australia about this due to skin cancers on my shoulders. I'm told the the rule exists as there is an unfair advantage for those who wear sleeved sleeved suits. So stupid. So that, I agree, is a stupid rule. If you're allowed it in an Olympic, but you're not allowed in a sprint, then that does seem pretty odd to me. Okay, I think you're going to like this one. Yeah. Michael Kennedy, new rule, no active fees. Yes, that's not really a rule. That's, a, that's his rule. But that is a good point. 
Okay, John, we're going we're gonna to pause because we're going to interview somebody and you're going to come back and give your ones. Mine which are great. <laughs> Mine are great. Here we go back in a second. We've done an interview, so maybe you've calmed down a little bit. Oh, yeah, I was. I was <laughs> calming, but I'll, I'll fire up again pretty quickly. So one more to go. What is it? Um, I have got one more to go, and I did have it two seconds ago, and now I've lost it. Oh, oh no, here we go. Um, ben Cobra, he's sent it through. This has actually come via um, from John... Domandi, this does. Uh, uh, ben, back to the rant. Yep, you, you're no, no. You're not getting rant. You're getting a, a little bit of a thumbs up here. Oh, okay. So, so I'm not sure if who, who this is directed to. Whether it's directed to John Domandi or somebody else, but this seems really odd. So, um, this particular athlete has got some sort of physical impairment. Okay, but wants to race uh, in the age group race. And doesn't want to race in the physically challenged. So let's say, category. let's say, I don't know, you've lost a limb or something like that. Yeah. And you want to. Yeah. And you want to race in the age race. And they won't let him. Iron Man won't let him. And it must be a rule that they, maybe they've got. don't know, but he's got to race in the physically challenged um, open division. Can't race age group. That does seem pretty stupid. Mm. You've got the option there, but if you don't want to take it, that yeah. does seem like a stupid rule. So, Ben, you win. We should have comment of the week. Ben, you went one comment oh, of the week. Oh, okay. Okay, comment of the week. Ben, you are the winner of the comment of the week. Now, John, you've come up with some rules, and obviously you won't be ranting about these. You think well, now that, I, now that I think about them, I go, I can understand most of them. So my first one is in France, not always, but a couple of races, and I think I've said this before, you have to put three pins into your race what, number. Why is this? Well, you got to, and then I go, that does seem like a really stupid rule, but if you lose one pin in a race, it'll start to flap around. If you've got three there and you've got, you lose one, then it will still, still won't flap around. So, so, so it's that you don't use two. Yeah, you've got to use three. You've got to have three pins attaching your number to your race belt or you can't start. And they're very insistent on that one. <laughs> yeah. So that did seem a bit stupid, but I kind of almost see the point, oh, but it does frustrate You've got to rant about your own thing. Yep. Uh, a couple of people commented about the drafting uh, rule, and my opinion on that is uh, the rote style rule it's is best. It's the best way to do it. So in rote, punishment you, you, you get harsh. the punishment of the time and fraction, and then you've got to run an extra kilometre on the run. And that's a penalty, man. That that, that did weigh on my mind to go from, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a drafting cheat. Well, you did get done in Kona. Once <laughs> in my 20 plus year career, but in rote, I was like, Oh, there's no way I'm drafting here. Yeah. I am going to really, really work extra hard. Because that's such a punishment. Adding a K onto a marathon, mm. you know, an Ironman. And the thing about it was, because I remember Murray lost his bloody gels. Yep. So I picked up some random gels off the road, tried to catch Murray. The K wasn't a flat K. <laughs> they had to run up this bloody road. It was, yeah. Because I was running up throwing my jandals. I was dying to get there. I didn't even find Murray. Murray, you're running. Must have been on fire. Oh, mate. I think Murray was pretty – he wasn't in his happy place. <laughs> Uh, I'll keep this um, Eurocentric. So in Germany, and I'm pretty sure this is in rote, uh, you have to you can't, couldn't have your race number under your wetsuit. So it's a wetsuit swim, yeah. but for some reason you couldn't have your race number there. And that is one that I couldn't quite get. I was like, why? What does it matter? Through, why does that matter? Yep. Uh, and then the final one I have is in Kona. Not so much of a rule here, but I think I'm qualified enough to put on my own tattoo. I've done it every other race in terms of your race number tattoo. But, that but does they, don't, l- they don't do a tattoo, do they? They, just, they, 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 no, they, they draw do. Them. No, they do the tattoo oh. over there. But you, they can't. They won't put it everywhere else. They put it on your race bag over there. You got to wait in the line in the morning and in the morning and get your tattoo put on. I, the, the, I get it creates atmosphere. They've been doing it for years. There's a bit of history, and it's like it's like the first thing you do of the day. But 
I don't think it's necessary. Uh, the one thing I will say, a few people That's did comment. That's not really comment. a rule, but is it? It's not a rule. No. But there was a few other comments in there around race numbers. So these days, you know, you've got your timing chip. Yeah. You've got your bib you number. You need a number. You've, you've got your, your body marking. Um, and again, when you think that one through, you go, does, why do I need a bib number? The thing I like about them nowadays, but is they often put your name on it. And yes. so you get a lot of support from the crowd because mm. they'll say your name. And the other big reason for it is the photo side of things. So oh, it true. helps identify for And photos. also, like, um, as a spectator, I, like I'm the, I'm the loud spectator, mm. so I'm always cheering, looking for people's names and cheering them. And, mm. so, and you know, like, it's a really nice thing. Those numbers are a pain in the ass to get off, though. <laughs> anyway, this no, week, no Kevin, rules. Bevan, uh, you can have yours next week because I want to stick with mine for Mine's this week. Mine's pretty good, but look at it. It's um, I'm going to tell them mine and then we'll talk about it next week. Mine's... The what? No, because I... Okay, oh, no. Oh, wait. Because John just gave me the, the angry husband. The sigh. The sigh. The dead, the dead sigh. It's ITU week this week because we've got the World Champs finale in Lausanne. So if you're a long course athlete, do you race short course tries regularly? Why or why not? And what influences your decision to race? And I will give a comment to one that I've decided not to do. Um... But it was noteworthy, so I'll give you a plug. Corey Ward Corey sent Ward. through and he said, basically, what do you guys think of the uh, the best way to create fair competition categories based upon a changing issues of gender in the sport? Like Cassius That's Castor Semenia. Yeah, that's a hard one, eh? That is very... That's a really tough one, that one. I just thought there's no right answer to that. Because like, hers, hers, hers is different because like some people make a gender choice. Yeah. Whereas hers is... Oh, that's a really tough one. Yeah, I feel so really that's why I chose not to go there. Yeah. Bevan. No, but I do think there's a future where we'll have more categories than just men and females. Mm-hmm. You know, I do think yeah, there's I a future where we'll, where we'll have, you know, transgender and whatever, you know. And, you know, It's the easiest solution that I can see. You just go transgender category. Yeah. It's going to be, yeah. Interesting times ahead, John. Okay, John Bo, so that's this week's discussion. The discussion was, if you are, going to, if you are a long course athlete, do you do short course races regularly? Why and why not? And what influences your decisions? John, we've got an interview coming up. Craig Kirkwood, here he comes. Yes, Craig Kirkwood. Okay, guys, uh, um, we've got somebody on who we've mentioned on the show from time to time, and I thought we'd had him on before, but we haven't. So his name's Craig Kirkwood. He's a coach from the North Island of New Zealand in Tauranga, which is where my brother lives. And well, people uh, really want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a, it's the retirement uh, retirement capital of New Zealand, but a beautiful place. There in Nelson. There in Nelson. Yeah. Got a great yep. race up there every year at Port of Tauranga Half Ironman. They have a aqua bike and a sort of three quarter distance race now. So, welcome along to the show, Craig. Yeah, thank you very much. Tell us a bit about your athletic background because um, you ran at a very high level. So, maybe just tell us about your athletic background and then sort of how you transitioned into triathlon. Sweet. Uh, so, as a young fellow, I grew, actually grew up in Timaru. Um, oh, you ran it. Yeah, yeah, so down that, that down the neck of the woods. Um, ended up going to the US on a scholarship uh, for track and field. Ran uh, standard kind of five thousand cross country, few ten thousand meter races on the track. Um, moved into marathon, made it to the Commonwealth Games. Um, ran some reasonable times over the years. Um, what, what what was your best? Uh, Two thirteen. Nice. Uh, was my best marathon. So yeah, that was. What's it like? Uh, oh, it was so long ago. I kind of forget, but. Um, yeah, pretty pretty cool at the time to be able to to be able to shift that fast. And now I look at it and go, wow, how did I actually accomplish that? It was, um, you know, that was, was they were shifting. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and in two thousand and uh, two thousand eight, actually, I decided um, that I was going to try and qualify for Beijing. Was well, it took probably two thousand seven? And I said to my brother in law, if I don't qualify, I'll do Ironman with you the following year. So um, I ended up lining up 
2009 Ironman, and that was kind of started my triathlon um, involvement. So yeah, so it's been about 10 years or so, 11 years. In in terms of your running career, were you sort of following the the Lydiard style of coaching, and, and I guess maybe that changed when you went to the to the states. But yeah, what what, what sort of um, run program did you follow? Yeah, so being in, from Timaru, we there wasn't really anyone to coach down there. So I I read all of Lydiard's books um, that came out at the time, and they were kind of my bible, and I would just you know, know what race I had coming up and I'd open it up and work backwards, count the number of weeks and follow that. So very much a Lydiard kind of base. Um, when I moved to the US, we were we were fortunate slash unfortunate that we didn't have a very good coach there either. So we were left to our own devices a lot, <laughs> which meant that we, um, which we, we made a lot of mistakes, but we learned a lot. So, uh, so going through that period, probably five years over there was, you know, a great learning experience. And I had a couple of Irish guys there and a few other Kiwis were there. And we, you know, we had some good times and we ran some reasonable races. But it wasn't until after I finished there and, and moved to the UK um, and got a real coach that I actually started running quite fast. So, um, but I learned a lot during that period. So it's kind of all foundations for what I'm doing now. So I guess, yeah, how did you get into coaching? Because in, in New Zealand at the moment, you know, we see these athletes popping up and I see the, the CK logo, logo from time to time. Um, you're obviously you know, semi-self-coach for a long time and as you said, you had a coach when you, when you moved to the UK. But um, what sort of got you into coaching and what was the desire? Um, well, I guess being self-coached for such a long time, I, I learned heaps and always wanted to kind of share what I, what I had learned, uh, whether it was right, right or wrong. Um, and I... I my role in the UK, we worked. I worked for an agent who represented a lot of the top African runners. So we had kind of world record holders, Olympic champions in our stable. And my role there was basically, looking back at it now, was assistant coach um, to to my boss. Um, he spent the, his whole year traveling around the world, and he would bring me up and ask me to take these five guys to the track and do this workout, and I'd report back to him on you know, how they'd gone. And um, that was what he used for the basis of entering guys into the Diamond League races and to major marathons and stuff. So so right back, uh, probably that was kind of 99, um, I was, I guess, informally assistant coach. Um, and yeah, just progressed from there. And even when I moved back to New Zealand and kind of had less and less involvement uh, for a long time, um, I was still kind of doing some informal coaching on the side and helping people out. So, um, And then it was 2000 and Three, uh, 2013 I think I got made redundant from my job and I thought bugger it I'm um, going to go coaching full time and give it a crack and have a look have a look back it's been great when you when you were dealing with the guys who like were the world's best is there a difference in those guys uh, they they're physical uh, freaks in terms of their you yeah. know their genetic makeup they are just they're just different animals um, and but they they work extremely hard and they have the same uh, frailties everyone else does they get sick and injured and um, they have ups and downs in their training periods and training doesn't always go well um, but they are physical specimens and that that I think makes the difference you can only um, coach a donkey to run so fast but um, <laughs> if you've got a thoroughbred horse you know it's much easier to get them moving quickly yeah, yeah. And, and I think we had Ryan Bolton on a while ago. He, you know, he's involved in the the American scene with some some really good athletes. Is it sort of chalk and cheese in terms of what marathoners are able to earn compared to what triathletes? I know the top marathons earn really good money, but when you actually get down the next sort of rung below, are they still earning uh, pretty decent money? 
Um, I don't know about these days, but I, when I ran my, my, my best time, I finished 13th at Chicago Marathon, and I walked away with a pat on the back um, <laughs> and nothing else. Uh, if I'd been 18 seconds faster, it would have been 10 grand US. So that was that was in 2001, um, so it's yeah, going back yeah. a long time. So there is there is some money there. Um, it's pretty hard to get. Um, I remember when I was in the US at the end of my college career, um, we would go and do a few road races chasing a bit of money and um, even a thousand bucks on the start on the you know for first place would draw quite a few people out of the woodwork um, mm-hmm. to come and race for it so you had to run pretty fast to, to earn small amounts of money and, and let's uh, be honest running's a lot more competitive than triathlon like there's a lot more good runners out there than what there are good triathletes out there yeah i think so yeah, yeah. the money the money in triathlon is um only at the um at the pinnacle end of the sport so there's not your local you know um triathlon doesn't have have cash it's uh it's the, the top echelon races so mm-hmm. so one of the reasons to get you on today was um yeah it's a little bit kiwi focus but it's a kiwi show so you guys yeah. have to stick with it so but if you've been watching super league earlier this year you know one of the names that started to come to the forefront and get a reasonable amount of uh airtime was hayden wild um and for, uh, for for people who've been following the itu he's sort of progressed through the season and, and uh, really building very nicely towards the end of the season and had some breakout races with a third at the Tokyo test event, um, had some really good races in some of the sprint events uh, and now we're leading into the, the, the finale of the season in Lausanne. So we're pretty excited in New Zealand about having Hayden but also um, Bevan asked me a question a few weeks ago you know, about why we got some, some good athletes coming through. So we've got the current World Under 23 champion on the male side, um, we've got Hayden, we've got another guy called Sam Ward who's you know, a top 10 athlete uh, on his day and then we've got some, some good younger athletes coming through. We won the, the Youth Olympics. Olympics. And when you compare the the amount of money we've got compared to some of the big countries, it is just about non-existent. You know, probably we've got what they fund one athlete probably funds our whole program. Um, so I was really keen to hear from uh, a bit more about Hayden, but also a bit more about why, why perhaps we're producing the athletes. So maybe first, um, Craig, tell us a bit about where you came across Hayden Wild and um, and what he was up to. Yeah, so I think it was um, the end of 2016. He had just um, done the Xterra uh, Maui race uh, where he'd won the age group again for the second time. Um, and he came to me, actually came to me before he, oh, sorry, I hope that didn't ding too loud. He came to me before that race and kind of said, oh, I want to I want to transition to ITU racing. I want to go to the Olympics. Um, you know, would you help me? And so I said, well, when you're finished with the Xterra, come back and we'll have another talk. And he he did that, and um, it just progressed from there, really. So that was the end of 2016. Uh, I think that's right. And then he spent 2017 um, racing in Asia. Um, he had very little experience of racing on the road, and his first couple of uh, attempts, I think Takapuna was one of his first bigger ones, and it was a it was a bit of a shambles. He was a bit leisurely out of transition, out, out of the water, and kind of jogged up the beach and got left behind. <laughs> <laughs> and missed, missed, missed the group um, so he learned a few harsh lessons very early on um, and that first season racing in Asia uh, was super valuable uh, for him so yeah and then just progressed from there so he's just kind of taken some um, some decent steps along the way and this year it's been some massive steps so um, yeah, it's been really cool what about him as a um, as a specimen? Because I remember Brett Tinge, he's a runner from down in Christchurch. Um, I don't know when he said it to me. I think we were coming back from Kona one year, and he said, oh, Hayden Wild, he's an animal. And I said, uh, you know, I didn't say anything. I thought, I bet he's bloody awesome. But, you know, the standard between being, say, good, really good in the Kiwi ranks compared to, you know, getting in the top ten and 
in World Championship Series races is, is gigantic. So as a specimen, is he pretty awesome? Um, yeah, he produced some pretty some pretty big numbers um, in the lab. Uh, we had lab testing done beginning of last year, and his his VO two is monstrous. Um, and yeah, he produces really good power on the bike. So um, I won't give you any of those numbers away, but they <laughs> yeah. they they're, they're pretty huge, and um, it's not surprising that he's kind of reaching the, the heights that he is at the moment. So when you when you get someone like him, who's obviously got some talent, um, but doesn't necessarily have the you know, this, the high level skills. What, what's your development pathway for someone like him? Yeah, well, that, like I said, that that trip to Asia that first year of racing was massively valuable. Just learning those experiences. His swim is, is, is his weakness and it probably will continue to be so for quite some time. Um, he's, you know, he's strong enough on the bike that if he gets some help in the bike group, he can make his way back up. Um, but a lot of a lot of the work that we did early on was around transitions, um, making sure that he was moving fast through them and had it all down pat. And he's actually really good at it now. If you watch um, any of those races, he's one of the first out of transition now. So, mm. uh, so all that all that kind of small stuff has worked really well. Um, he he identified the urgency as well and has capitalised on it. So. Um, he's a quick learner. He only, he only makes mistakes once, and then he um, he'll, he'll rectify it, and generally doesn't do it again. So, um, so that's pretty special as well. So have someone who has that level of um, attention to detail. Um, and, you, and you're someone who comes from running background, which is great. So you can actually look at triathletes and probably recognise whether whether things are legit or not. You know, courses aren't necessarily always accurate and so on. So when we see him, you know, pumping out like a, I think in Tokyo, hot conditions, he ran thirty thirty. Um, is that likely to be accurate? And, and and maybe how does that time compare to what he might be able to do fresh? Yeah, so we funny funny you asked that because we actually were mocking some of the other teams about m- measuring the course with a wheel the day before, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. kind of going oh what's the point? Um, but it was actually the course was actually um, IAAF measured, so yeah. uh, accordingly according to the officials, it was um, an accurate ten k, which is which is good to know. Um, it'd be really interesting to see what he could produce on a standard ten k, um, and potentially in November we'll stick him on the track in in Wellington and hope for a good day down there. And see what he can actually uh, bang out for a good 10k on the track. So um, there might be an opportunity to see exactly what the, you know, what he can produce. Um, my pick would be um, low 29 minutes. I mm-hmm. think at this point, yeah. Nice. Um, and he's still getting quite pumped in the swim. You know, you said that's his, his weakness, but maybe give us some perspective. How, how fast does he actually swim? Because those front guys are just booking it, and he's sort of making that second pack, um, often coming out with, you know, Jake Burke whistle and people like that. They're yep. still pretty decent swimmers in the scheme of things. So how fast are they actually swimming roughly? Um, so I think I haven't worked out the exact splits, but I think it's around kind of 108, uh, 109 per 100 um, works at it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and so he's probably a little bit off the pace. Over a sprint distance, he's much closer, um, and that's why you'll see him at the front of the, front of the bike group early on in the ride whereas sometimes in those standard distance races that that gap can blow out to a minute um back to the second group so they have to work pretty hard to catch back up and that's what happened in tokyo they were i think he was 58 seconds behind out of t1 um but they made that up in the first two laps of the ride so um they were just a bit more motivated and worked a bit better in that second group um and rode back up and um I guess maybe just give us a little bit of insight. You know, I often get a bit frustrated when people say the bike looks really easy, they're just dawdling along, and Hayden's often often one of the ones driving. So, you know, from from a from in the bike 
section of most races, um, unless it is a complete dawdle, they're generally working pretty solidly or, or not so much? Yeah, they are. And it depends on the course. So that Tokyo course was, um, it, it looked pretty benign on TV. And when we looked at the course map before we went over there, it actually looked the same. We were kind of going, oh, it's going to be a nice flat kind of cruisy ride. But um, on the bike from it, we actually rode around and it was uh, it was pretty savage. There was, there were some really tight corners and lots of them, um, little climbs coming out of each corner. So um, there's a lot of, I think there was three or four dead turns on each lap so yeah there was a lot of stop and go a lot of acceleration a lot of power spikes um and those are the things that do the damage in those races because you know most of those guys can spin along at a reasonably comfortable wattage but you ask them to slow down and accelerate from from a dead stop um multiple times in a lap um it really starts to hurt so you'll notice if you watch that race again and pay attention to the to the size of that that main group um on the last two laps of the bike there were guys getting shelled off um off the back who just weren't strong enough to hold on Mm. i think we'll see some interesting stuff at the weekend my final question just around hayden is this weekend is the world's in the sun and i realized he's still under 23 i think is he racing elite or under 23 no he's racing elite so um because his swim is a bit of a weakness, uh, that under 23 age group, um, there's not a lot of firepower on the bike. So he, there's a good chance that he'd get isolated um, in the second group and not be able to get back to the front just because he has, wouldn't have any help getting back there. So we made the call to race elite uh, for that reason and also um, Olympic points and prize money. So um, those are the, the reasons he's decided to race elite. Just just, just on, on Hayden, a couple of things. Um, what are you learning as a coach in dealing with, you know, this kind of someone of this level in this age in, in their career? Oh, man, so much. <laughs> um, my my involvement at this level um, is, is pretty limited in this sport. Um, I have had experience, obviously, in athletics at that level, um, yeah. but not in triathlon. So, um, yeah, so being in Tokyo and I went to Edmonton WTS as well this year and just I just learned so much about the ins and outs and I made a point of contacting a few other coaches from other federations and then just sitting down with them and just kind of talking about what they do and um, how they set up their year and how they set up their programs and um, just those kind of things and I just just learned so much about um, what other countries are doing um, around those things but you know they have the benefit of big budgets so you know we we operate on almost nothing um i was self-funded to tokyo um because i really wanted to be there to see you know how how it's all going to work for next year so um you know whereas you know we were we were laughed at by some of the other federations because we were self-funded but um you know that's just the way it rolls when you have no money as a coach i know a lot of it will be about the physical application and, and programs and kind of feedback for your athlete and stuff like that how much how much of a coach at this level is it about the psychology of of racing and stuff like that like how much do you deal with hayden on that aspect yeah that's a good question too because i um and it probably started um in malula bar last year so um i kind of saw that as his breakthrough race in terms of um him actually feeling like he belonged at the WTS level or the okay. ITU level. Gave him uh, identity. Yeah, so yeah. I think before that race, he always saw himself as a um, as an exterior off-road guy kind of dabbling with triathlon. Um, and then, I don't know if you remember the race, but he, he ended up riding off the front um, and he had a, probably a 40-second <laughs> yeah, um, lead coming into T2. Yeah. Um, and then he got run down by Rich Murray and a few others. But I think that 
that race and that ability to do that kind of um, gave him the, the the faith that he actually belongs in that space. Mm. Um, and then Super League really kicked that off when he kind of out sprinted Moller and you know um, was playing with the big boys there. So um, and now he's just racing like he you know has fully fully belongs. So that was. Um, that was an important part of his development and just kind of working with him through that um, was, was, was a pretty cool learning as well. So, yeah, as I said earlier in the interview, you know, one of the, New Zealand struggled for a while um, in terms of producing some good athletes, and we seem to have several at the moment. Um, when I look back historically, you know, we've, we've had some great athletes, but often it's just been chance, and they have got been supported by our National Federation um, almost once they've made it, not necessarily on the development pathway there. So Bevan Doherty was very much a, a self-made man. Um, yep. When he got to the top, he was, he was supported uh, as best that they could do. Hamish again he was just another freak he just sort of rocked up and he became good straight away and, and the same applies with most of our athletes you know Andrea Hewitt did very well because she stumbled across John Hallamans from pretty much from day one um, and I could you know list a whole bunch more um, and the rest of the world really caught up with New Zealand and Australia in the 2000s once the sport became uh, an Olympic sport and and since then both countries have fallen behind and both seem to be actually making a bit of a comeback now so in, in your case with Hayden um, you said there's, there's no support I mean what do you know maybe about the, the system at the moment and whether it is it has been luck that we've just got a few athletes coming through or if there's been something else going on that's um, starting to produce them yeah it's interesting because I think uh, with Hayden he's he's probably more of a, a chance finding for the sport um, he just kind of made that decision um, I want to try ITU and give it a crack and, and we kind of um, found out how we get him there um, and just kind of moved through the pathway that was kind of set out um, and jumped over a few hurdles and crashed through a few barriers um, to get to get him into race start. So, uh, so he's he's probably a bit of an anomaly there. But I think the the rest of that that squad um, and you know if you look at the Edmonton team, so Ainsley Thorpe and and Nicole Vanderkay and Taylor Reed, um, they're all under twenty three. Um, mm. So they're, they're all quite young. Um, they came through. They came through a phase when the sport actually had some money a few years ago, mm-hmm. and they were doing regional development camps and uh, talent spotting. And I think them and a few others were all picked out of that of that kind of process and um, identified as athletes who could, you know, produce some goods. And subsequently, they've kind of moved through and and have actually started producing. So, uh, so I think it, it has. The sport has benefited from that period where there was some money uh, in that development space because it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight. It takes you know maybe ten years and you might have fifty athletes go through it and only five come out the top um, and that's generally what happens. So um, at the moment we don't have that. Uh, we have some pretty uh, dedicated coaches around the country who are all in pretty good communication um, around, you know, events that are going on, who's doing what, and trying to keep keep these kids um, competing against each other and uh, keeping the competition up and skill levels up. So, um, but it's yeah. it's difficult without funding, that's for sure. Maybe contrast that to what you know happens elsewhere. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I, I think all countries struggle with the same the same thing as you know keeping kids involved in sport, um, keeping their enthusiasm up, and then bringing them through into the into the under twenty three ranks. Um, but I know a lot of those countries have have decent funding at that level. Um, they have development officers who run around and um, talent ID and make sure coaches have everything they need to to help their athletes. So, uh, which is something we don't have here. We just kind of, we're all doing it on our own, on our own back and for the love of it, really. 
Um, I guess one other thing I've got is, is, you know, I know when Hayden was racing, uh, which one was it? I think it might have been Edmonton. No, it wasn't Edmonton. It was, uh, what was the other one in, in America? Cal- Calgary, no, not Calgary. Uh, where did they have the other round in, in Canada? Edmonton and anyway. whatever it was, yeah, yeah. but he was running along <laughs> and it was, no, it, was responsible, but yeah, it, it was it was five it was a five way um, sort of sprint finish with Vincent Louis and um, and a bunch of others and oh, Hamburg Hamburg uh, and anyway they um, four four of them or three or four of them out of the six were, were all coached by one one training group so yes. it yeah it seems like there is a few pockets of um, training groups and I know you've got your own sort of training group up there with um, with some very good runners and stuff so how important is, is that been for I guess Hayden's development and, and other athletes to, to have that sort of group training environment rather than just doing it by themselves yeah I think it's um, it's really important that uh, you have someone to train with um, not only not only for the for the push along and training, but also just the social environment uh, that it creates as well. Um, I think that that group that you're talking about in Hamburg is coached by Joel Filio, and um, you know he's got a fantastic squad um, going on there, and you know they're producing a lot of um, good results. So um, it's working really well for them. Uh, I think they're all they're all independently paying Joel Filio for coaching, and I think he produces camps around the world and they all kind of attend from one race to the next, um, go off to the camp. So, uh, it it works really well for them. I know, um, John O'Hall from Canada does the same thing. He has, uh, he's the coach of the Canadian, uh, federation, but he also has his own independent, um, training group. So yeah, so there's a few of those popping up and they seem pretty successful. Just on, just on your own personal Ironman experience, you know, you, you come from being a very, very elite runner um, to being a very good age group triathlete. Um, just what would be some of your tips for people who have c- done a similar path? Because I imagine a lot of people have got to the end of their running time and Ironman's the next transition. Just what are some of the tips for the audience listeners who maybe are just new to the sport but come from a running background? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Good question. Um, Work on ankle ankle flexibility. <laughs> <laughs> ankle flexibility. Yeah. Don't get too don't get too hung up on the swim. <laughs> Just get through the swim. <laughs> um, that was probably that was probably my biggest thing. I I swam okay at Ironman level, but uh, I certainly didn't invest that much time in it for sure. Um, probably could have got a few minutes faster if I'd swum a bit more, but um, it wasn't it wasn't my passion. I'd much rather run than go for a swim, but. Mm. Um, when needs must, you you got to go and do it. Um, I think you probably uh, have to step away from some of the intensity as a runner um, when you transition into into triathlon or into especially into Ironman, um, and that you uh, continue with the longer runs, but um, the intensity has to come out. Otherwise, you end up breaking yourself. Mm. You must feel painfully slow for you guys that are running. I don't even know what two thirteen paces, but then when you're you're dropping down to, you know, running four minutes or four minutes fifteen per k, it must feel fairly pedestrian. Uh, it doesn't anymore. But when I first um, when I first transitioned over, yeah, it did. Um, yeah, that, that getting off the bike and running running slow <laughs> felt really felt really awkward. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I'm used to it now because I'm I'm much slower, just general athlete. I don't train anywhere near as hard as I used to. Brilliant. I'll give yourself a plug if anybody's in your neck of the woods or, or like what you say. Um, tell people how they can find out about you. Yeah, so oh, I mean, I've just got my normal social media stuff. So Facebook, uh, my coaching page on there, and then my Instagram page. I try and keep that updated, but I'm not that crash hot at 
Fresh hot at it. It's the thing everyone knows they should do but don't want to do, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just struggle with uh, what's a good photo and what's not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And have you you got any racing plans yourself for either the Kiwi Summer or further down the track? Um, I'm going to do I'm going to do Taupo 70.3 this year, um, and then so hopefully qualify for Worlds next year. So that was a bit of a plan. Um, Might do Port of Tauranga again, um, and outside of that, no, that's about it. I'll be pretty busy all summer with other people's races, so I end up uh, traveling around and um, being coach support pretty much everywhere I go, so that takes up most of my weekends. Brilliant. Awesome, guys. If you want to check out Craig, just search for Craig Kirkwood. You'll find him and uh, all that he's up to, and keep a lookout for Hayden Wild this weekend. I'm liking the design of the course for him, and uh, if he's freshened up since Taupo, should be not since Taupo, since Tokyo, should be firing. So awesome. Thanks for your time, Craig. No, thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. Awesome. John, your thoughts? Good stuff, you know. As I said, um, we do things in New Zealand on the, the smell of an oily rag. We have a triathlon New Zealand stuff up because let's be honest, there's a period there after the two Olympic golds, they must have got a lot of money. One Olympic gold and uh, Olympic medals. Yeah. And yeah. So around yeah. that period, because in New Zealand what happens is it's a funding system. So sport in New Zealand is all based on, at least most sports, is based on from the funding from the government, your Olympic results. Mm-hmm. So if you're not at the Olympics, it's pretty hard to get any government money. And if you are at the Olympics, you need to perform because pretty much it gets cut off if you don't perform. And that's where the system is a bit of a struggle. Because <laughs> once you fall off the wagon. Once you're off the wagon, to get back on is very, very difficult. Uh, so so now in the mid-2000s, yep, we so had Bevan, we, we had Hamish. They won the 2004 uh, Beijing Olympics, gold and silver, and then Bevan backed up in 2008 in Beijing and got a bronze. So around that time, I imagine New Zealand Triathlon was getting a lot of money from the government. Well, the whole sport was on a high in New Zealand, and that was a bit of a global phenomenon as well, is participation was up, not necessarily because of the Olympics. I think that certainly helped. Also, like the women's triathlons were really big. everything was just pumping. There was money coming into the sport. Our national body expanded significantly. They had staff for Africa doing this, that, and everything, and now they're down to... Our national federation maybe has two to three staff. Then the high performance has a coach as well and maybe an administrator. But, mate, compare this. One regional hub in... Great Britain or somewhere yeah. would have more than our national so federation. So where did it go wrong? Why, why, why didn't they... Well, you know, because in this moment, triathlon's popular, the funding's coming, they've got staff, and nothing came through. Well, there was, there, was, there was a bunch of things. Um, one was, the rest, and I think this is the biggest thing, the sport got more competitive and the world caught up. And I think that was a really, really big um, factor that it was much harder to get to the top. Okay. So we had a history of performing with, you know, Hamish came through that period where athletes were still kind of doing their own thing largely. Yep. And Bevan kind of to a degree was, was in that boat So they as well. weren't actually reflective of the system. Mm. And so I think that was, that was one factor. And then I think... Um, uh, from the funders you know they're looking further down the path going it's going to be harder and harder for triathlon to get any medals it's, one me- it's a one medal sport yeah that's a problem as well uh, now it? there's two luckily with the mixed relay but they're looking at it and they're prioritising going well you haven't really got the athletes coming through and even if you did it's a bit of a roll of the dice for one medal whereas we can go rowing cycling we'll put the money in there and there's 10 medals on offer yeah. so it's very much uh, uh, there's also that factor um, we had some leadership issues probably more uh, after that sort of period um, that sort of came into play then then the funding starts getting cut and then it just starts to slide slide down so uh, where we're at at the moment is as you heard from Craig is we've got a few really dedicated coaches who have got their own sort of coaching setups and they do communicate well um, and so we're starting to see some things coming through but it's 
very competitive at the top um, level now. Not competitive at the same degree as, say, golf and tennis and things like that. But if you want to get a top 10 result in uh, in an ITU race, you've got to be pretty legit, you know? Well, one thing that we haven't really addressed here as well is, is the... the the choices for kids, hmm. you know, like, you know, what we're seeing now with sport is one of the biggest issues with sport is that esports is really, really popular for kids, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of kids would much rather... You're just trying to get me fired up again, are you? <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. But hey, the, the Fortnite Championship. I had my first game of Minecraft at the weekend. Oh, mate, you're moving up the, the kids, <laughs> buddy, found that pretty entertaining. <laughs> but the Fortnite Championship... Mm. 30, 3 million for the winner oh, and, they, and they had some Kiwi boys who made it to the final I think they were the first out of the final and they walked away for like 100k each mm. you know and these kids this is this is what kids want to be doing mm. you know and so it, it's it's really interesting how does sport keep relevant to the young generation where technology is is more appealing much easier um, you know we'll get, this big, big questions Bevan did you, I'll tell you what did, did you watch that documentary on, on Channel 1 on Saturday night called The History of Rugby no. Oh, I tell you what, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a BBC, I think, series, or it's a UK series. Um, but they talk about sport in general. Like, sport really wasn't a thing until the 1800s mm-hmm. because no one had time. And basically, when the Industrial Revolution came around, suddenly people started to get some time. And it was a bit of an affluence per- people's thing at first. Mm-hmm. And um, But it's a really good documentary just around this recreational sport. It's really just quite a modern thing. Mm-hmm. There'll be occasional you know, before that, but really, just a really good documentary. But yeah, I just think when we think about sport moving forward, you know, it's it's not just the attention for competing against other sports, it's actually keeping sport relevant for kids. Mm. And that's a big issue. It is. Kids are pretty smart these days. Pretty bloody smart. John, I, I accidentally deleted my show notes. What's next? We have a statistic. Oh, now this it's is fantastic, all right? I, I didn't come up with this one, and Peter Colson sent it through, and he didn't even realise he was going to get featured on the show with Statistic, but this has got some impressive stats. Okay, so there was a guy on the show years ago who uh, raced against John in a race, and John got a big payday because no, it's got no, stuffed no. up. Oh, yeah, just, sorry. I was wondering where you are going there. Yeah, yep. yeah. So we did, uh, the, the, was it the inaugural? Was it the second? It was the inaugural, wasn't inaugural it? Inaugural Challenge Monica? Yeah, was that? And I remember John going to me, I'm doing it. Because you, well, you weren't meant to be doing it. And we're literally, we're training for something. I think we're going to do Ironman News. And John goes, I'm doing it because it's yep. good pay money. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then I paid the price because I turned around and did Ironman New Zealand maybe five or six weeks later. And that was... Yeah, but you got paid quite a lot. How much did you make from that race? Oh, a few thousand. Yeah. yeah. And that was good. So Peter Vabrusik was the man we were talking about. It's not about me. It's about Peter Well, no, because what happened was he won the race, but he wore gloves. Did he win it or did he get somewhere? Uh, I don't think he was going to win. Oh, I can't remember. I but think he won it. No, nah, he didn't win it. He got penalised. What happened? He, he wore glo- uh, webbed gloves in the swim. And then I passed him on the... Well, he's a crappy swimmer, so he's behind me. He passed me at some stage on the bike. And then uh, they stood him down on the run for God knows how long because I ran past him and then... 10 minutes later, he came steaming past me. I think they stood him down for like five minutes. Maybe it was even more than that. And anyway, I don't think he won, um, I think. But he ran himself up to third or wherever. Well, you got it. Because you, you, you were fourth. I was fourth and I moved so up who, third. Do you remember who won then? Uh, wasn't it Luke Dragster won that year, maybe? Oh, it might have been too. And yeah, maybe Justin Granger Luke was second, Dragster. maybe. Yeah. It's a name from the past. So anyway, this is about Peter Vabrusik. Um, he races prolifically, uh, massively. Oh, like the stats are going to prove it. So he's got... Uh, a bit of 30 years of race stats for Peter Vabrusik. Can you guess which single race he did most? 15 times. I don't actually have the answer for that. Um, but uh, <laughs> he's, done, he's done two times Ultraman, 
and I'm not sure when the stat was taken from, 197 Ironman It's hard to comprehend. Races. That's insane. And the thing about Pete was, he did win a few Ironman in his time, mm-hmm. um, but the thing about it was, he was always up in like top 10. Mm-hmm. It was consistent day. Like back in the day when the show first started, pretty much every second week, Pete was like 6th, 7th, 8th, 4th. It didn't sound like he really did much training. Like no. he'd just go and race every weekend and tick over during the week and race pretty much every weekend. He did. He was a distributor for a number of brands, I know that. Uh, so that sort of helped having a good image. But yep. 197 Ironman distance, 34 Nice distances. So that's a 4, 120 and 30. And then 87 uh, 70.3 distances and 6 swim runs for a total of 1,563 races with one DNF. One DNF and all that, that's phenomenal, isn't it? I don't know what race he's done uh, 15 times. So Pete, if you know what that is, he wasn't at Rote every year. It's probably, I don't know, what it'd be. What, what nationality is he? Belgium, uh, is he? He's from Czech oh, Republic. Czech. Uh, yeah, pretty sure it's Czech Republic. So That's the question is, who's done the most Ironman races in the world? He'd have to be up there. That's a, that's a and question. And you've got to remember, most week. of his are pro. Mm. Mm. He'd have to be right, right up there, you'd think. Because I'm sure there's some age groupers who have done, you know, lots. lots. And we're talking races. I mean, I know you can go Iron Cowboy. And if you don't know, I haven't actually watched it yet. There's an Iron Cowboy documentary on uh, Netflix. Oh, is there? Yeah, apparently it's quite good. Oh, check it out. So there you go, Peter Vrusek. Statistic. It's fantastic. And he is fantastic, consistently delivering. I'm pretty sure he doesn't didn't train because I remember we interviewed him years ago, and I'm pretty sure he said, oh, "I don't really like training." Yeah. <laughs> you know? and it's like, I just like racing. It's like, yeah. well, mate, if you, with the way you're doing it, that's fun. imagine his body. Yeah. Oh, just get into a routine. Get yeah. into a routine. <laughs> you run a marathon every weekend. <laughs> get, get he does a, it pretty quick. Get, get into a routine. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying go. it's easy, but bloody hell, pretty awesome. <laughs> How's everything going? Oh, I just did a marathon this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I wonder if he's done many marathons. Don't know. Down to a, I'm bored this weekend. I'll do a marathon. <laughs> People will say, one, two, three, four, high five. five. Good old James Wilson sent through a question. Uh, advice for a solo camp. Inspired by Epic Camp Chat on the show, I tried to plan a little camp of my own. My wife went away and I had to, so I thought John might be able to advise on how to plan a short term camp just for yourself. Didn't we do this one last week? Nah. Okay. Um, I'd love to do an epic camp, but time and funds don't always allow it. So I was working to a time and money budget to begin with. I found a campsite in the Lake District in England with a self-catered kitchen, so food was sorted and I had access to showers. I had four days to play with. The Lake District is hilly, perfect for riding and hill running. The name of the area gives a clue to having ample open water swimming opportunities. However, I was apprehensive about swimming on my own. If you had a four to five days to take yourself away from training on your own, how would you best spend that time and what are the fundamentals you need to make work to make it best? Uh, How can you cram as much quality training in as a mini camp? I'm not where I used to be with my fitness wise, but I tried to enjoy it. And following should be done. And so basically, he's got what he did here without any support crew. Arrived two hour run, uh, set basically in a 50 meter hill ride on day one, 70 meter hill, 70 mile sorry hill ride, and a short easy swim on day two. A two hour mountain run on day three with a 70 mile hilly ride. Day four early swim, 30 mile ride, and then pick up and go home. So I've got a few tips for people that want to run these you know, type of camps. I think first you've got to just take a step back and try to figure out what your objective is and at what stage in the season you're doing it. So you know, is your objective to go out there and get a really good endurance space? Um, is your objective to go out there and 
just see how much you can handle and just go nuts um, or is your objective to go out there and do some race specific work and, and do a bit, bit of harder training and let's, say, let's say you are doing it for a race when would you want to do it um, let's say you do Ironman New Zealand and it's March early March yeah I mean it's wherever you can fit it in but the ideal timing would probably be somewhere in that sort of window maybe 7 to 12 weeks out okay. if you're going further than that then it's probably going to be a bit more of a base camp uh, if you're going uh, in that sort of window then you could include more race intensity but as I said you know some people myself included when you go to like epic camp it is that's my event for the year and I'm going there and just going to go nuts and just enjoy it and race every day and and yeah so it kind of depends what your objectives are but a few tips for people that are trying to get uh, a camp to to to, to happen number one uh, get a group together you're going to get so much more I know it's not always easy but if you can get a few training oh, mates big difference infinitely easier yeah uh, and also it, motivation it easier and harder yeah yeah totally like I think of epic camps and you th- I just think of the places you went to in yourself and I always remember there was one day where I was absolutely screwed and we're going around out of Queenstown you know the, the roads out of Queenstown by the, yep. by the river there yep um and, and the old Campo and I, we broke away from the pack and we, I think we were racing to wherever the next location was. Mm. I don't think it was a long ride, it was maybe 70k, but the old Campo and I, and I was dead that morning, mm. the old Campo and I just, just found a gear that I'd never experienced, you know, <laughs> and, and you could, and the thing was Gordo and the crew was trying to chase, they were chasing us hard, like they weren't giving yeah. it to us and they were always just that little bit behind us, yeah. but man, there's no way I could have done that by myself. Yeah. You know, it was awesome. Number two, um, you know, what you want to be doing on camps is, maximizing your training time and maximizing your downtime so you're basically either training or you're trying to relax uh, so trying to number two's point is to try to pre-cook food or have a real good plan around your food so you're not wasting your energy sitting there slaving away you know cooking good food over a stovetop you might be there for an hour doing yeah. prep and that's just going to sap you of energy so you know again if I was if I had five mates together and we were going somewhere I'd basically pre-cook all the food and freeze it and just just um, you know, good food, but have it have it pre cooked, and then you could maybe add some salads and what have you. But that's uh, you know, downtime is really important. Um, number three, try to have a support vehicle. I know it's really practical just to go we'll do it ourselves, but if you can find a wife or somebody who's just into thing into this sort of support stuff, uh, it would be massively valuable. Again, just trying to, especially if you get a group. Yeah, it, it means that you've got you're not going to run out of food um you've got somebody who can take your bags and and get you set up and take that food and have something waiting for you so again it's about maximizing your recovery time and making sure you can try to avoid bonking and and exploding because that'll come back to bite you the next day um one thing that uh you mentioned in a couple of your swims here um james you know you did, did a few lake swims what we find really good on on epic camps is actually quite often swimming in the afternoons and evenings is a really nice recovery session you do have to be a little bit careful about um cramping but i remember specifically after on like the second to last day of camp in france um and we had this evening swim at i think it was seven o'clock at night and we had a late dinner um but you just felt so much better after you'd had a swim just freshens you up so it's not a hard swim not a hard swim so some some pm swimming is really good especially if you're staying right next to a, a lake and then the final point that i had in terms of a, a high five was to include some intensity so you know you were you mentioned that you met for a foul run you did a few hillier rides and, and maybe you had more of a strength and endurance focus on this camp um, that you did by yourself but don't be afraid on these camps to risk blowing up a little bit by including some intensity 
if the focus isn't purely endurance-based, but that's one of the things that where you find out a lot about yourself is on, on Epic Camps, we're racing most oh, days. Oh, my God. Like when, when I think back to what we did in Epic Camp, and admittedly I was at the pointy end, hmm. um, you, you, you look at the volume of the Epic Camp and you think, oh, my God. But it, what it doesn't show, and nowadays it would show because you've got your power files, but it just showed, man, we were smashing ourselves, hmm. not every minute of every day, but lots of lo- – a lot of time in the camp, you're working at pretty max effort. And that's where you're going to get your mental gains. So you're going to get your physical gains by doing the endurance work and going out there and doing the miles and the strength endurance work. But the mental gains is when you're smoked and you go, right, we're going to, I'm going to smash this hill and do a KOM up this climb, is that's when you get the mental gains when you need to push uh, a lot harder. So hopefully there's a few you tips just there. Just be a bit careful with that. Like I, I, I teach a class this morning actually called Sprint, which is basically hits on a bike. Mm. So it's... Um, 30 minutes, basically the workout's only about 20 minutes. It's short blocks, max intensity. And they have three phases. They have sprint, which is just high cadence, power, which is kind of mid-range with mid-resistance, and then strength, which is kind of like riding up a really steep hill. And you, you often get people who will turn up when we do the strength work really hard, but then they don't push the intensity. Right. So yeah. you, you see them, and they've got the right amount of resistance on, but because they've got the right amount of resistance on, they're just kind of cruising through it. Mm. And, I, and I never let them off, because it's like, no, the point is to go hard, and then fight that. Mm. Um, and sometimes when you do something like a camp, you think, oh, I'm doing this big endurance camp. But you still, you know, you, you want to have that focus of some hard training in it. Mm. And you won't get all the benefits if you just think, well, I'm done. I did eight hours today. Mm. Well, maybe you better have to do six hours of some quality in there. And try to have a plan around that because um, firstly, so you don't do too much but also that you still include it. So it's pretty easy to fob off going, okay, it's day four of our camp and we're scheduled to do a KOM over this climb, but uh, we're all a bit tired so we won't do it. That's when you actually need to do it, within reason. You don't want to be stupid about these things if you're carrying an injury or anything like that. We had a follow-up question here. Um, Jordan White. Jordan White. He's got here, thank you so much for your weekly show release. It's definitely something I look forward to each week. Thank you for that, Jordan. I loved hearing about how all the diff- you have all the different competitions within the camp, KOMs, time trials, races, and not. My wife and I are toying with the idea of putting together a triathlon camp in our area just for local triathletes and friends. I was wondering if you'd be willing to share some of your camp competitions, rules, points, opportunities, and all that so I could use some of them as a baseline for how I potentially create something similar for when we have our own camp it's so much more excitement and makes people suffer through the miles Jordan I think you just need to go back and listen to all the interview, interviews we did I think I went through a lot of it there and I'm not going to give away all the trade secrets here, here but the general principles are uh, you swim 3k you get one point you bike 30k's you get one point and you run 10k's you get one point if you were doing it with um, you know Slightly lower level athletes, I'd probably go down to like maybe a, a 2k swim for one point, 20k swim for one point, and 5k swim uh, for one point, or something around that level. So if you're in miles, maybe a, a one mile swim, 10 mile bike, three mile run, or something like that. So that's the genesis of the you know, um, or the, the platform that we work off in terms of accruing points, and then you have races. Um, you know, built in around that, whether it be King of the Mountains uh, competitions, um, whether it be uh, handicap races, uh, and then you have your main set type things. So you just want to think up some some little challenges across the three disciplines, trying to make it as fair as possible. Um, so, you know, one set we have in the pool is like... Um, 10 by 200s on particular times and for the previous camp I did that based off people's individual times um, and you do a similar set on the on the run and then um, you know, other things we've done before is like a fun things like a 1k time trial on the bike we did that once nice. we had a little strength and com- uh, strength and 
conditioning sort of competition at the, the recent one where we did a um, like a wall sit and a, a plank and a press up competition so you can throw all those sorts of things in for, fu- uh, for fun and the other thing that I did enjoy in the, the last camp we did a little pub quiz round as well um, oh, nice. triathlon questions where everybody submitted a question um, and then I came up with a bunch as well um, so you can just include a whole bunch of things there but yeah, overall the points competition starts with those sort of distances and then everything else is layered on top of that Okay, good times. Okay, John, let's do a sponsor. Extreme endurance. You're acting buffer. We have another park run at the weekend. How'd you go? Wait a second. 17, mm. 48. No. Thankfully, I was a little bit quicker than that. Seventeen twenty-seven, which isn't too sharp. Um, I should be going a bit quicker than that. But anyway, hadn't been on the extreme endurance beforehand. And uh, I'm definitely getting on it this week because I'm going to run the Canterbury Road Champs this weekend. And so it, for me, it makes a big difference to be on it for just one week leading into this race. Uh, it'll give me a little boost. Now, I know that I'm not going to be at my best, so I'm not expecting miracles, um, but I am going to build up for a half marathon. So I'm going to use it for A, I want to get a bit of a boost this week, and B, I want to be able to bounce back from it fairly quickly. And uh, and those are my t- two main reasons for doing it. It's a road race. So I have to try some because I got back into weights and I'm getting pretty good doms again. Yep. Maybe I should do it for my weights. You should. Yeah. Yep. So it gives you a really good advantage. I still remember that time that I very first tried it and I just felt invincible. <laughs> so people, if you want to get on the Extreme Endurance, check it out, xendurance.com. Kiwis and Aussies, if you want to get it through me, um, just get in touch. If you're in Great Britain, um, I'm pretty sure it's xendurance.co.uk. But it's just been proven time and time again. And look, one of the reasons why X Endurance stick with us is because you guys are purchasing it and so many people have tried it and then they keep on getting it and uh, and so they know it works. So we've had so much so many success stories. Especially if you get big out. block, you know, like John uses intermittently, you're not someone who's gonna use it every day. Mm. You kinda of just think about when do I need it, when am I gonna use it, which is a great strategy. But if you know you're gonna like a month, that big month that you're gonna be doing leading up mm-hmm. to your big race in the year. If the you know if you can keep that quality of training up after a big you know when you do those big blocks and the big hard and intense sessions, if you can then turn up the next day and do a good quality session, you're gonna be a better athlete, aren't you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, so. check it out, xinsurance.com, and it's not a very expensive experiment to make if you well, have tried it yourself. You know, grab a t-shirt. Yeah. You know, maybe grab some fuel five. Fuel five. You grab some. What's the remainder of one? Uh, I think it's called Amiga these days. Just Amiga? Yeah. There you go. And also you can also to get discount. You don't, the IM Talk discount doesn't work nowadays, but what they have is kind of like a membership kind of scheme. So you basically get a membership, you get the membership and you get discount pretty much all your all your work. So check it out, xendurance.com for Extreme Endurance, a product that seems to be working for a lot of our listeners. Jombo question. Oh, wait, wanger of the week. Oh, wanger of the give week. Me a, give me a number, Bevan. Mm. One between one and... 22. 100. 22. My daughter's 22. 22. We'll see if this person's got a public profile on it. David Bryant. David Bryant. 18 hours and 27 minutes. He's from Catalyst Dietitian. Oh, nice. uh, he swam 4 minutes 53, four, 4 hours 53, rode 9 hours and 34 minutes, and ran 3 hours and 58 minutes. Pretty balanced week. So, David, Catalyst Dietitian. He is from... Floriat Western Australia. Okay. Got a lot of PRs last week. Nice work. Dave, you're on fire, mate. That boy is on fire. It looks like he's in his World Champs Week. Oh, of course. Must be, Might be ITU. Is it Girona? No, maybe he's doing Nice. 
maybe, but he looks like he's, in, he's, he's, he's a little run or a little bike there in Girona. So, David, if you're listening and you're heading over there and you've got Good a luck, race mate. coming up. Good luck. Crank it. Crank it, baby. Crank it. Okay, John, questions and answers. answers. Uh, so just King Glass saying that few people were coming to want condos. Yeah, so if you're going to Kona this year and you haven't got yourself sorted, um, Endurance Sports Travel, they have still got some two-bedroom condos still available. And I'm telling you, two-bedroom condos are bloody hard it's to find over mine, there. It's it gold mine. It's just about impossible, um, especially at this stage of the game. So if you do want to go to Kona, whether or not it be um, as a participant or a supporter, get in touch with Endurance Sports Travel. Say, Tell them you heard it on here. Um, and, and as I said, it's pretty easy. It's not easy. But it's, there's a gazillion one-bedroom places over there. But to get two-bedroom, I know, because I tried last Taking year. Taking the family. It was bloody difficult. Because oh, we had so, two-bedroom last year, didn't we? We did. And, uh, oh, and I was on the couch. You were. Yep. <laughs> so endurancesportstravel.com if you're going to, heading over. And likewise, if you're going to want to go to any other sort of destination races around the world, just takes out the hassle. Yeah, the, the, and the feedback we always get is these guys are absolutely fantastic. King Glad, well, you know, he's a legend. Okay, John, Andrew Weston sent through a question on um, this week's show, 680, on August the 20th, they even named the date. Uh, you said there should be more age group only Ironman races for various reasons, but you didn't say what those reasons were. I want to hear what those reasons were. So that's from Andrew Mystery Man Weston. A couple of reasons. Uh, firstly, there's, there's so many pro races now that the fields are getting more and more diluted. Yeah, so you're going to, if well, more age group races, more pros are going to turn up the races that are around. Yeah, but there's still demand for more races. So instead of chucking on more um, events with pro categories, then just have more age group races like they did at Vici at the weekend, um, like they've had at other races. So I know there's a definite downside to not having pros there. It's harder for the event to get profiled, to get media coverage and, and so on, which is an important part of it for, for you know, if I'm in New Zealand with age group only, yeah, they wouldn't get any coverage. In the no, they media. get quite a bit of coverage on yeah. our news. Um, so I, I get that side of it, um, but... I'd imagine some of these events in some parts of the world probably don't get that much much coverage mm. anyway in the media. In New Zealand, it's a totally different beast. But uh, so that's that's my main reason is just there's so many pro races, everything's getting more and more diluted, and I want to see more head to head racing uh, between the pros, ideally at championship races. And and now whenever you win a race, you get an automatic kind of slot that's taking it away from somewhere else. So I'd much rather see five slots at a championship race and have less um, pro events. I know I know this isn't going to work, but I'm going to throw it out there. What if they did category pros? You know, like, you know, you think of like, like Premier League, you get the Premier League, then the championship and so on. So you had like tier two pros and they could go to a tier two race. Right. You know yep. what I mean? And so yep. and that would be anyone who's kind of under top 30 in Kona. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have your tier one pros. And so you mm-hmm. might have like a Vici, but that's a tier two pro race. And it's still going to have prize money. It's still going to be good. But you might only have so many of those. So you're going to get 15, 20 good tier two guys go. And they're going to almost get a category to build up to that top tier. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that kind of almost naturally exists. Like ITU level, it does exist yeah, because you've got the World Cup level. But that, that being said, a top guy can go and do a World Cup yeah, level race. Yeah, whereas yeah. others, I think because we're such a niche sport and there's not many pros, I don't think it would work. No. But it, I kind of look at it now as... At the, the Ironman races that are coming up in this next little period, um, I don't know, like Wales, Wisconsin, um, Wisconsin the, these sort of ones, you're not going to have your big hitters there. So if you're a dedicated second-tier pro, you're going, well, this is kind of my opportunity to maybe get to Kona, get, get to Kona um, in one of these ones. So, yeah. 
But the thing is, the, popular, the popularity of the age group racing is still strong. Yeah. Um, and the pros, is just aren't enough pros, there's enough, enough mm. money to make pros make a living. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's the main justification, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Uh, Jombo, that's, that's it for questions and answers. So let's just name a couple of patrons. Matthew Seagull Roberts. We've got Lauren Spidey Webb. <laughs> that's a good one. And David the Patriot Meehan. <laughs> We're so obvious. <laughs> if you want to get an obvious cool nickname on I Am Talk, make sure you go to our website, www.iamtalk.me. You've got our little Patreon page, and then you just go become a patron. You get a gift. You go on a draw to win a trip with the boys, but more importantly, you just support us and what we do. It's pretty much like, like a coffee a week makes a big difference to this show. And when you do, you get your cool nickname like Lauren Spiderweb, <laughs> and it's uh, that's Spiderweb, and it's uh, pretty cool as well. If you want to get the show emailed to you, go to imtalk.me, but on the page, just a little kind of form to fill in, and you'll get your show emailed to you each week. If you want to get some coaching, coachjohnnewson.com. If you want to check out my podcast, bevanjamesos.com, I did a new one yesterday. Uh, other content such as Age Group of the Week, cool website and other feedback, check, check it out by emailing us at imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. What's oh, my goss? Running the Canterbury 10K Road Champs this weekend. Prediction? So, uh, it's, if it was an accurate course without, about, without a million t- turnarounds, probably... Anything under 36 is going to be okay, okay, acceptable. On this course, God knows what's going to happen. So it's like a, f- it's either four or five laps. So you've got all these turns. Everyone always gets a measurement like significantly long. And I'm pretty sure it's wheel measured. So maybe the GPSs with all the turns are screwed up, but it's always really, really slow. Everybody's time's slow. Uh, so I'm looking forward to doing Where's the run? Uh, Bottle Lake, just okay. on this axis row. So I'm looking forward to running, but I'm not looking forward to the time. Uh, so that's going to be coming up. I organised the Canterbury Regional. Duathlon Championships yesterday for our secondary school students. Uh, they finally got the weather forecast right. They said it's going to start raining at uh, just after midday. Hey, First spot, like 12.06. Happy with that. Happy with that. It's been a nice morning for that. Outside of that, Bevan, uh, just trucking along. Just going back to running, Craig Kirkwood, we worked out his, his, yes. his marathon time. So when he did 12.13, uh, 2.13, sorry, he was averaging 309Ks. That's impressive. For a marathon. Mm. Yeah, we don't produce many what, good what, what do you reckon your fastest K could be right now? Oh, be miserable. Like, maybe 3.15? Yeah. Something he did like that for that. a marathon. Mm. That's mm. awesome, eh? Yeah. I, I've never... I, I don't know if I ever broke three minutes for a K or not. I probably... I would have been able to when I was at my best, but that would have been an all-in oh, effort. Oh, yeah. You know, max it, max it. Yeah. You know, so... But that's impressive. Uh, he was a very good runner, so good on him. Bevan, I haven't got too much else. Oh, here we go. Well, I was going to be. I was going to be late today. Yep. Have we talked about what you're doing? Mm, I don't know. Well, today I was going to be late because we had a builder coming around. John's, John's going to do a big build on the house. Have you? Have you? Have you confirmed? No, no. The drain layer was coming around this morning. No, no. Day. But I mean, have you confirmed you're going to go ahead with it? No. Oh, what, what, what's the confirmation point? Well, we've got to get the pricing, the redu- reduced model pricing. <laughs> we had to scale it back. You can't try and get some freebies? John, always trying to get freebies. Oh, I'm getting freebies, but, uh, <laughs> but that does not uh, equate to what the bank balance is going to be able to handle. So that was number two. And then the other he's two. not just doing a big building. He's, he's turning his house upside down. It's going to be a big build. Um, and my wallet's going to be a lot lighter today because <laughs> the, reason, the other reason I was going to be late was taking the car in for a service. Our car's getting a little tired <laughs> and... What point did you just go buy a new car? Well, I said, well, I, she said, what are we doing today? And I listed the things. I said, we might as well just buy a bloody new car. She said, would you like us to do an, uh, an appraisal on how much your car's worth? I said, yes, let's do that today oh, really? as well. So what, you take it to the dealer? Mm. Uh, where'd you buy your car from? 
Uh, Trevor Crow. Trevor Crow Motors. That's been around for a long yeah, time. Subaru Specialist. <laughs> Subaru Specialist. Subaru, if you elsewhere in the world. Subaru. Other than that, Bevan, I'm looking forward to the Vuelta. If you, wait, if you're going to buy a new car, what kind of car are you going to get? Same car? Probably, it's pretty similar. Yeah. Four wheel drive. Fuck a bit of power. <laughs> yeah, I got to run. Uh, looking forward to the Vuelta. Watch stage one. And my, our Kiwi fella team crashed. Luckily, he. Don't, I'm not sure if he came off or not. And uh, and I didn't watch it. The, the, the stage two highlights were on today and it should have been on yesterday. And I told Thomas he could watch it this morning. And I'm hearing him yelling at the TV upstairs, come on, George, come on, George. Like, oh, don't ruin it for me. I'm going to go home and watch it later on. So the is good, so that's a tour of, uh, the tour of Spain. So that's going to be good times. Because I told you about our driveway in our car, didn't I? Yes, I've experienced your driveway. Yeah. That's <laughs> what you felt off your bike. I thought I'll show that, Bevan, how you... Well, I've showed... Bevan's got a very, very steep... <laughs> it's not very big. Driveway. It's only probably about three metres, isn't it? Yeah. Three to bird, five metres. Somebody needs to be sacked over... The, well, yeah. The problem is you can't get a car over it. and so Or anybody else's car, for that matter. No, you can. But you can get some SUVs over it. <laughs> you need a yeah, yeah, yeah. SUV. So we've been saving for an SUV now. We, we're, our car, we've got like a little Ford hatchback, mm-hmm. a little kind of... What, what is it? Uh, I don't know. Focus? focus Ford Focus. Yeah, yeah Ford Focus. Um, and we're not car people. Like We're like you. Yeah. It, it serves a purpose. And it, it's a perfect car for us. It's all we need. Um, but we can't get over our driveway. Mm. And so we, the whole time we've lived in this house, which has really only been a year, there's been no car in our driveway. Mm. Because and we've, got, we've got a big garage, so it's a bit of a wasted, bit of a wasted space. So we have been saving for a car. Mm-hmm. Because we're thinking, well, we have to get it. But we don't really want an SUV. Mm-hmm. Like, they're way more expensive to run. Yeah. They're way more expensive to buy. Our car's probably going to have five years in it. Like, yeah. why would you bother? So now we're thinking we might try to drop down the driveway a little bit. Oh, that's going to cost you more than a bloody car. Well, no, no. It's not going to cost 20K. No, just the top bit. So just get the lip of the top. Because the problem is, I think it's the lip at the top is a problem. Right. Because if it can cost us like 5K, because mm-hmm. the problem is when we sell this house, which we probably won't for a long time, that will be because we're going to have to be honest about it. Although the guy we bought it off didn't let us know. Yeah. But he had, an issue. He had a big truck, so he probably knew the new. Yeah. But so we're thinking we might just trim it down and get our little car over the driveway. Good luck with that. Yeah. It's pretty excited about that. Good luck with that. It's, it's, it's building time because we're just going to put some stairs down the side of the house as well. Mm-hmm. So I'll get the builder around. Nice. I've we, got builder. We, got a, we, got a, we need an engineer. I said, Do you know an engineer? And I said, I do, but not for some stairs down the side of the house. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't go to the Philanator just to get some stairs down the side of the house. Philanator, he'll be listening. He'll help you out. <laughs> okay. So the, well, I wasn't trying to drop a hint then, just, <laughs> just for the record. Uh, okay, Johnny Nevergoss. That's it. What about the cricket? What about the cricket? We won. I know. And the Poms won. we fired up again, Bevan. Why? Because the other night, the lead story on one of our news channel on our you know yep. s- s- the six ashes. o'clock news it was the ashes not last night it was when it was like day two of it I was like far out man do we really need to know about the ashes is our lead story haven't we got things going was on was that lead story not sport sports news oh John like, come on come on although you know the greatest player in the moment right now has been Stokes he's a, he's a Kiwi don't start with that bullshit he is he was born here no, but he, didn't, he, didn't he go there when he was like 18 no he went a lot younger than that are you sure Pretty positive. Oh, I thought he's, I got, he's got a very British accent. I heard him on the news last night. No, he fakes it. He <laughs> <laughs> goes, "How you going, bro?" Yeah. <laughs> so. He didn't go when he was born, but he because his mum lives here, doesn't she? His parents do. Yep. His dad was a uh, cop. Was he? No, he was a uh, rugby league coach. Oh, his mum. His mum was a cop. He works at the, like the police station. This is fascinating for him. Hey, mate! I tell you what, he's a legendary sportsman. Well, what yeah, do you? A few British. This is to Jared Stokes with his father. Uh, he the reason though he ended up in England is because he was going over there to coach rugby league. 
Oh, there you go. Mm. And they still were the greatest players from us. Mm. There you go. Yeah, well, tell you what, that was a great performance in the Ashes. Oh. We should have led with it today, John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia car. car.